I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be talking about the Nine Inch Nails song, Lights in the Sky, from their 2008 album, The Slip. She's mostly those of you who maybe don't know much about how we we do things here at Skipped on Shuffle, the way we determine which songs to do for each episode is we go to this website that lists out uh, playlists and downloads and streaming uh, statistics for the the major streaming services such as Spotify. So we go there, we look for an artist, and then we we organize you know, their, their tracks by, by popularity, or, or we should, I guess I should lack thereof of popularity (laughs) and look down the list and say to ourselves, like, what song is at the bottom of the pile here that we feel shouldn't be at the bottom of the pile? Yeah. We have some ideas going in. We're like, I hope this song, you know, I I (laughs) I hope no one likes this song. (laughs) Basically. I hope I'm the only person that likes this song so we can talk about it, (laughs) but it gives us a good kind of indication of how, how much people like it, you know, whether, you know, it doesn't, differentiate between casual fans and you know the hardcore fans out there but at least gives us somewhere to get started and for nine inch nails we kind of struggled with this yeah we were, we're both huge fans we're going to talk about this a lot but we're both huge fans of the of the third nine inch nails album which is called the fragile both of us are i mean those, we, yeah. I, definitely it, our it, favorite nine inch nails album. we pretty much didn't discuss it until later but we just assumed we're going to do something on the fragile yeah so so then we we went to the site to 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 organize all the songs to figure out which songs from the fragile were low on the list and unfortunately it turns out that nine inch nails fans are really big fans of the fragile because all the songs that were low on the list were all like the weird instrumental songs that you know they're not really songs they don't have lyrics they don't have like uh, the the usual like song structure that one would expect. So there was nothing that was low on the list that we could cover that you know would apply for a skipped on shuffle episode from the fragile. Uh, so that being said, I don't think the song that we're playing today, "Lights in the Sky," I'm not going to say that that's like a lower tier, like a second choice kind of thing. But I really, I guess we could say like if you are at all not a Nine Inch Nails fan and you're just kind of like just discovering this group for the first time. The Fragile is definitely, that's where everything cool happens, and you should definitely check that out. But beyond The Fragile, there's a ton of really good stuff. There's the early stuff that the you know fans that have been there since the beginning really love, and that's kind of, I think, the category that we fall into. Um, and then there's stuff that you can listen to that came out later on, things like The Slip, which we'll talk about today, that are really good records that I think, even though they don't have the classic I, I don't know if there's a classic nine inch nail sound but I think Trent Reznor keeps getting better and as much as 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 nostalgic as I feel about the old stuff I'm still just as, as excited to listen to the other records when they come out and the slip had, has been one I think that people might have missed a little bit too because it was a, a download only release they did eventually release a physical copy but we'll get into all that as we go through the episode. don't know too much about Nine Inch Nails might be surprised to know that the band isn't actually a band at all. In fact, for the first 28 years of Nine Inch Nails existence, there was only one member, Trent Reznor. Michael Trent Reznor is his full name, and he was born in 1965 in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Reznor spent most of his early life in a few small towns throughout Pennsylvania. He moved around a few times due to his parents getting divorced when he was just six years old. 
Despite the dark and angry sound of Nine Inch Nails' music, Reznor is quick to declare that his childhood was not bad. In fact, he was well-liked by most townspeople, and he was a good student. He was very involved with both the school band as well as the school drama club. He also played in a local band called Option 30. Eventually, Reznor went off to college, but after just one year, he dropped out and moved to Cleveland, Ohio to pursue a music career. After moving to Cleveland, Reznor joined many different bands. He would only be with one band for a short while before the band would break up or he would exit. This unpredictability working with other musicians may have influenced his efforts to later make Nine Inch Nails mostly a solo band. While Reznor is playing with all these bands, he gets a job at a small recording studio in Cleveland. He doubled both as an assistant engineer and a janitor. The owner of the studio once said about him, he was so focused in everything he did. When that guy waxed the floor, it looked great. (laughs) Unfortunately for that guy, Reznor had larger ambitions than waxing floors. Wanting to record his own music, he convinced the owner to allow him to record demos in the studio during times when the building was unused. The owner agreed, and Reznor spent the next year recording demos on his own at the studio, playing nearly every instrument on the songs himself. Based on the strength of these demos, Reznor earned a deal with TVT Records. He reassembled many of the demos he recorded into tracks for the first Nine Inch Nails album in 1989, which is called Pretty Hate Machine. The biggest single from that record is called Head Like a Hole, and it's one of the few songs that wasn't built off a demo he recorded during downtime at his No, you can't take it. No, you can't take it. No, you can't take that away from me. No, you can't take it. No, you can't take it. Pretty Hate Machine became an unexpected hit. The main singles from the record received heavy radio play, and the music videos were staples on MTV. Meanwhile, Reznor assembled a group of musicians to perform live and started a grueling tour to promote the record. This tour would last for the better part of two years. After touring, TVT Records wanted a new Nine Inch Nails record. However, Reznor hated working with the label. It's primarily because he felt they were pushing Nine Inch Nails as a commercial act rather than as an underground-oriented band. During this feud, Reznor would book studio time under fake names and use fake band names so as to keep the recording secrets from TVT. This feud with the label resulted in Reznor creating his own label called Nothing Records, a subsidiary of Interscope, and entering into a joint venture with TVT. Essentially, this means that he could do his own thing, but TVT would still make money from Nine Inch Nails' music. To record the next batch of Nine Inch Nails songs, Reznor rented the house where the Sharon Tate murders happened. For those of you who don't know that story, it's a famous murder conducted by members of the cult of Charles Manson. Sharon Tate was the wife of film director Roman Polanski. Four of her friends also died at the house that day. For whatever reason, Reznor decided this would be the perfect place to record new Nine Inch Nails music, and he lived and worked in the house for a few years. The first of these new recordings was a 1992 EP called Broken, which is a lot more guitar-oriented than Pretty Hate Machine. It's also a lot darker and heavier, which you can hear on the song Wish. song would end up winning Nine Inch Nails its first Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance. After the success of Broken, Reznor started work on the next full album, which would eventually be released in 1994 as The Downward Spiral. This album was yet another unexpected success, becoming even bigger than Pretty Hate Machine. The album's success was based on the unconventional first single that went on to become the band's signature song, Closer. Help me, I broke apart my insides 
Downward Spiral is a concept album that deals with a man diving deeper and deeper into self-destructive behavior until he eventually commits suicide. The final song on the record, which coincides with the character killing himself, is another one of Nine Inch Nails' most famous songs, Hurt. This song was famously re-recorded by country star Johnny Cash, the version of which you've likely heard more than the original. The subject matter of the downward spiral, as well as its graphic lyrics, explicit and violent music videos, and even its cover art caused tons of controversy. Years after the album's release, it would cause even more controversy when Dylan Claybold, one of the Columbine shooters, wrote extensively in his diaries about his connection to the main character of the downward spiral story. After touring extensively to promote The Downward Spiral, Reznor did some production work on the soundtrack to the film Lost Highway by director David Lynch. This soundtrack would go on to be a huge hit. In fact, we talk about it a lot more in our Rammstein episode, as that soundtrack was the first album to bring Rammstein to mainstream attention. This soundtrack also had a new Nine Inch Nails song called The Perfect Drum. So that's the second time we've mentioned the Lost Highway soundtrack in a Skipped on Shuffle episode. So I don't know what you're waiting for and you should just go buy it because the whole thing is great. And that's one of the best Nine Inch Nails songs. Easily. Easily one of my favorites. So good. Unfortunately, though, a third Nine Inch Nails record wouldn't land until 1999, roughly five years after the downward spiral. The delay was due to Reznor's growing depression and drug use. At one point during the writing sessions for the album, Reznor locked himself in a room with the intention of killing himself. However, he ended up writing a song instead and reemerged. The subsequent album, titled The Fragile, is a double record with nearly two hours of music. Many of the tracks are instrumental, with Reznor explaining that he was so depressed and lost during the recording that he couldn't even collect his thoughts enough to create lyrics. None of the songs from The Fragile ended up being radio hits, unfortunately, although that didn't stop the album from heading straight to number one when it launched. One of the album's most famous songs is called Star Fuckers Incorporated. The song is about the fakeness of famous people and is very likely directed at Marilyn Manson, whom Reznor had been fighting with at the time. Check out that song here. I'll be there for you. During the tour for The Fragile, Reznor suffered a heroin overdose. He entered rehab and put Nine Inch Nails on hiatus. It wasn't until six years later in 2005 that Nine Inch Nails reemerged with the album With Teeth. Unlike The Fragile, With Teeth is a single disc record that is much more straightforward and simplified. The lead single is called The Hand That Feeds.
with teeth didn't receive as much critical acclaim as the first three Nine Inch Nails records, but sold pretty well considering how long it had been since a record from the band landed. Luckily, Reznor's new sobriety allowed him to work much more quickly, as it was only two years later, in 2007, that he released a new Nine Inch Nails record called Year Zero. Another concept record, the album dives much more into politics than any other record from the band. The album is more notable for its promotion than its music, though. Reznor fully embraced the internet and used it to create an alternate reality game to help tell the story of Year Zero. I highly recommend reading about this as it's really cool. However, the album itself is easily the weakest thing Trent has made. One of the few highlights is the album's second single, Capital G. Only a year later, in 2008, Reznor released two albums back-to-back. The first was a mostly instrumental collection of song snippets called Ghosts 1-4. through Reznor gave this album away for free online and even gave it a Creative Commons license, which allows anyone to use the music in anything they like, such as movies, TV shows, or even other music, for free as long as they properly credit Nine Inch Nails. Believe it or not, Lil Nas X did just that with his monster hit, Old Town Road. Yes, Old Town Road, the biggest hit of 2019, lifts the majority of its music from a Nine Inch Nails song. The second record in 2008, also released under the same Creative Commons license, was called The Slip, which features the song we're going to talk about today, Lights in the Sky. We're going to talk about this record in a bit, but here's the one and only single from the album, Discipline. After touring ended for The Slip, Reznor put Nine Inch Nails on another hiatus for three years. The band returned in 2012 with a new album called Hesitation Marks. This was followed up by a string of EPs starting in 2016 and a new album called Bad Witch that landed in 2018. Reznor is planning on touring with Nine Inch Nails in 2020, although he hasn't mentioned anything about a new record yet. It should also be mentioned that outside of Nine Inch Nails, Reznor has been very busy with other music projects, most notably soundtracks. He and collaborator Atticus Ross won several awards, including an Oscar, for the soundtrack to the film The Social Network. They're also responsible for the soundtracks to other popular films, such as The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and the television series Watchmen. Reznor and Ross work so well together that he is now the official second member of Nine Inch Nails, joining in 2016. Now, though, let's go back to 2008 and talk about the song Lights in the Sky from the surprise album The Slip. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. The Slip comes out in this really prolific period for Trent Reznor, 
And it's interesting that it ends up deciding to make this a digital release. And I feel like some of that might be due to the fact that the year previous, in 2007, Radiohead's In Rainbows came out, which if anyone... We, we get into it in our Radiohead episode, if you want to look that up. But I'll kind of summarize it here, which is basically they did a pay what you want for their record and you could download it. So if you chose pay nothing, you could pay nothing. If you wanted to pay what you normally would, you could. Um, and it ended up being wildly successful for Radiohead. So I'm guessing that he at least has that similar feeling, but doesn't really care about the money. Maybe it's more of a celebratory like, hey, I'm sober i'm making a ton of music i just want people to enjoy what i'm doing and here's you know the the instrumental stuff which might be things that kind of were on the cutting room floor maybe or things that yeah that's, he, he didn't that's... feel like I, I i like this stuff but i'm not getting to where i need to get and have a complete song yeah with the ghost one through four album which which like we just mentioned it come, came out before the slip yep. Yeah, it feels it feels like these were ideas for Nine Inch Nails songs that he felt for one reason or another. They're would, good. They're good enough. Yeah. to hear, but not good enough to finish as. Yeah, know, uh, and so he just sort of threw them all together onto this four disc collection or whatever. It was like a lot of music, and I think that he just decided that that was how he wanted to do it, which is fine. You know, whatever. Yeah. So the the slip is pretty interesting based on, you know, that download only. Like I mentioned, you know, they ended up doing a physical release at some point. I think some. It was like months later. Because it it felt really weird because you were like, why are they even doing this? Like (laughs) people can still go and download it. I don't know. Just just the collector. Just the physical. One of the things that's interesting about this record, and we had mentioned this with The Fragile, and it's also true with The Downward Spiral, is you have some instrumentals in there. There's these interesting segue pieces. And this album is structured differently, where you you have a short intro, and then you have your set of songs, I guess, like whatever, like six, seven songs. And then the instrumentals all come at the conclusion of the album. It's like the last three tracks are instrumental only. It reminds me a lot of David Bowie's Low, if anybody's familiar with that. We also have a David Bowie episode. <laughs> um, we have a lot of episodes. Yeah, just, they're on that. Yeah, they're <laughs> plugging, plugging the other things in there. Um, so it, it has this very artsy. Fe- if anybody's familiar with the the Bowie album Low, has this very artsy feel where the first half of the record is like these pop rock songs, and then the second half is this dreamy, ethereal kind of playing around with synthesizers, and and you very much get that same sort of vibe. I, I'd say. Yeah. And it makes sense because Reznor is a huge David Bowie fan. They toured together when Bowie releases outside. Uh, they did a joint tour. It was like a joint headlining thing where Nine Inch Nails would open the show, play, you know, their own set for a while. And then Bowie would come out and help them finish their set. And then Bowie's band would come out and play the Bowie set. And it was this really cool collaborative thing that they did together. That was really interesting. And Trent Reznor actually remixed uh, a famous Bowie song called I'm Afraid of Americans and gave it like this Nine Inch Nails kick to it. And I'm pretty sure that once that happened, Bowie exclusively played the Nine Inch Nails remix. Yeah, I think on the, on the great, like when you see the greatest hits and stuff, it's the Nine it's Inch Nails. It's always the version. Nine Inch Nails version and when you saw Bowie play live after that album came out he always played the version that Trent had done and just they they were very clearly a a, a pair of of artists that that deeply respected each other so it makes perfect sense that Trent would sort of listen to something like low and be like I want to do a nine inch nails version of this so it's it's interesting. It, the slip is an interesting record just in so many different ways. I mean, you don't even have to talk about the music. Like we haven't really even talked about the music <laughs> yet about slip. I mean, it was released really interesting in an interesting way with like this download only situation where you could just download it for free and, and in high quality too. Like he was putting yeah. out, I think you could get like MP3 files, you could get FLAC files, you could download the waveforms. Like he like just gave it all away which is really interesting. The way the album is structured is interesting. It's a very different structure than Nine Inch Nails. Even the the, the length is very interesting. I don't know if this is technically the shortest Nine Inch Nails record, but if it's if, not the it, shortest, it is one of them. It probably shortest. is, yeah. It probably is the shortest. It's very quick. Very, it's, it's, it's the antithesis of The Fragile. The Fragile is very long, very dense. I, I, even me, I am a huge fan of The Fragile. It is hard for me to sit through an entire playthrough just like, 
only that one record from from beginning to end. It's it's a lot. It's dense. It's got some very dark, deep themes going on. It's it's a tough listen. This is like you could put this on like on a you know a brief car ride and you know get the the basic gist of what's going on in the record in that one big. Thing. Yeah, I would say for for anybody who hasn't heard this album, if you're familiar with stuff that's on Pretty Hate Machine and the Broken EP, to me it sounds more like that that kind th- those kinds of songs and even the the there's a, a lead-in instrumental that almost reminds me of the broken ep that has this Pinion. little short yeah, yeah that yeah. has a little short intro in there before you're just like bombarded with <laughs> yeah with just like insanity yeah so and, yeah and, but and and you kind of get the same sense here because it's like these are heavy songs and but but they feel they feel more refined i think than some of the it, it doesn't I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't feel as overproduced as some of the other Nine Inch Nails stuff tends to be sometimes. It's almost just like I w- Reznor went in the studio. He's like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And it feels a little bit like a quicker, dirtier, slightly rougher around the edges. But in, in Nine Inch Nails terms, that still means like very slickly produced. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that brings up something that we should talk about before. I, obviously, we're going to talk about Lights in the Sky. This is this is what we're here to talk about. But just before we get to that, we want to mention one more thing, which is the way that Trent creates this music. This is very important. Uh, not only is it important just like to know about this for Nine Inch Nails, but it's important to, to use that as sort of like a... It, it's it's a reason why lights in the sky is so different. So so when when Trent goes into a studio, he doesn't obviously it's just him. So he doesn't have a full band. You, you can't tell the drummer play a beat and then tell the bass player to play a lot. It, like it's not it's not as simple as that. So what he tends to do is he tends to build things digitally. So for example, he'll have a drummer or even himself get behind a drum kit and hit the bass drum. So it's like he'll record that and sample it. And then keep that on a digital file somewhere. And then they'll do the same thing with the snare. Then they'll do the same thing with the hi-hat. And they'll piece it all together. And then he'll just go on a computer and move things around and make up a beat. And then he'll be like, all right, cool, I have a beat. And then he'll grab a synthesizer and he'll play a little tone. And it all gets built and it takes hours. He must have to sit in the studio for, I don't know, like a he probably has to do like it, an eight hour session probably doesn't even result in one full complete song. He has to like continually add all these parts and take parts away. And so that's how Nine Inch Nails does the stuff. And the slip is done that way, but it doesn't sound like it was done that way. Whereas early Nine Inch Nails stuff does like you distinctly can tell, like if you're a musician, you can tell like, Oh yeah, this is, this is all studio manipulation. There is no band here. And in the, and it might be important to know in the, promotion for this record they had live rehearsal videos and stuff and i think it might have come on one of the 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 physical disc set but you can see the whole band actually playing these songs together i mean he does put a band together and tour but there's something about that rehearsal style that yeah again g- gives you the sense of maybe they were all in the studio playing <laughs> it live <laughs> yeah they weren't but you know no, no, you, yeah you, but yeah it, it seems to, it feels deliberate that trent this is the closest that trent has ever come to having that live band feel, feel yeah, yeah. on a record. So, so knowing that, let's talk a little about how Lights in the Sky is sort of the antithesis of that in a way. So Lights in the Sky, as you've heard, because we played a couple of clips of it so far in this episode, it is just Trent and a piano. Like, that's it. I think there might be some, like... I think there's, like, weird. a flute or something. Yeah, there's some or, weird sounds happening in the background. Or a programmed flute. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But but essentially, we're talking about a solo piano song. Just a, a man at a piano playing a song and, and singing along with it. And that's not something that we, we hear much from Nine Inch Nails. There's or a trend bit, in general. Yeah, there's a bit on the fragile. Uh, but, again, there's a lot of other production and stuff going on. Whereas this is stripped down like you said, sitting at a piano playing a song. Yeah, and it even, he, he I don't know if he intentionally did this, but it, it, it sounds raw. It sounds like, almost like somebody like put a phone on a piano mm. and hit record and he just played it and recorded it and then that's what you hear on the record. It, it's, it's a very different Nine Inch Nails sound and a different way of approaching things that I don't think we've ever heard before and, and maybe, who knows, maybe we won't hear ever again. In the sky, 
just in case. We had mentioned before about the structure of the album that it's little intro, set of songs, and then instrumentals. And it's important because Lights in the Sky is sort of the end of the record as far as lyrics go. It just kind of stops there. And that also makes it different from, we, we, we've been talking about how this song is so different. And I had compared this record to Broken, but this is very different because Broken does not end on any, doesn't have any soft notes in it whatsoever. And this is kind of this weird softer side that almost suggests something very different from the rest of the Nine Inch Nails catalog. And in thinking of that, it's only a short time after the slip comes out that he essentially disbands or the, you know, I, I think if I recall correctly, he was like, I'm done with Nine Inch Nails. Was that, was I it think, that? Yeah, he said that a few times. Uh, but yeah, he always comes back later saying like, I never said that I would never do Nine Inch Nails again. I just said that I'm not doing Nine Inch Nails for the foreseeable future or something mm, like yeah, that. Yeah. So he... Yeah, he, it's he's gone on a few hiatuses and just like kind of put Nine Inch Nails on ice. And yeah, so after this album comes out, he does just that. And then he starts a new band called How to Destroy Angels. And How to Destroy Angels sounds a lot like Nine Inch Nails, except for the fact that there are multiple band members, including a lead vocalist who is not Trent Reznor. Her name is Mary Queen Mandig. And after, or shortly, shortly between the slip and the beginning of this band, How to Destroy Angels, Trent and Mary Queen got married. So when you listen to Lights in the Sky and then know that he's going to get married to this woman and they're going to start a band together, it's kind of hard to look at the lyrics for Lights in the Sky and not think that this is about this relationship he has with, with, his, with, with his future wife. So we're not sure if the song is about this relationship, but it's definitely about some kind of relationship. And given what was going on at the time, kind of makes sense. And it's also kind of notable because a lot of the Nine Inch Nails songs are so self-absorbed mm. and self-reflective that it's never anyone kind of... reach. This, this song is about someone kind of reaching out, which is sort of not not a nine inch nails <laughs> yeah i feel like most nine inch nails songs are trent looking in a mirror and being disgusted with himself and then writing a song about how much he hates his life himself aspects of himself his addiction his depression whatever it's all about trent which i feel like a lot of critics might say like makes them not like nine inch nails mm. they don't like the fact of how self-absorbed trent seems to be when it comes to like who inspires him to write music. Yeah. I mean, he, he creates these fictional people, yeah. but their, their clearly, mental state is <laughs> yeah, in, in clearly, a similar place at times. It's a semi-autobiographical band. Even the Downward Spiral, which he says is a concept album about this character. It's hard not to be like, okay, well, this character is clearly based in some ways on you. So yeah, so it's really weird to listen to this song, Lights in the Sky, and hear almost i mean this is to me this is trent's like attempt to write a love song like this is like seems to me like a pretty romantic bunch of statements something that you know it's almost like you almost want to like pat him on the back and be like nice try man <laughs> you, know, like, you tried to write you know uh, a beautiful love song and it came out sounding like a dark weird nine inch nails song because that's what you do but but good try you know <laughs> yeah i mean there are some really beautiful lines in here so i've come to this is one of the the later verses i've come to realize we all have our place time time has a way you know to make it clear and i have my room and yes i can't disappear or leave you here so i mean it's, it's basically someone saying like i i you're this part of my life and i'm not gonna shut myself off like i usually do and disappear and I'm not going to just leave you alone here. I'm going to continue to try to be with you. I'm not quite sure what the the overall story is, but it's these little kind of like poetic lines that that stand out. Yeah, the, the thing the thing that I see from most of the lyrics is that he's trying to he's trying to make his own personal fears and self-destructive behavior he's trying to keep it in check because he's met somebody that 
he really identifies with and really wants to be a part of his life. And I feel like the intro of the song, the, the two first lines here are, she's mostly gone some other place. I'm getting by in other ways. And I think that's the first time I heard the song and I heard him say, I'm getting by in other ways. I thought he was talking about like, you know, doing drugs, doing heroin, doing whatever. But I think what he's really saying is that she's mostly gone some other place. Like you're not with me right now and I'm trying to get by because I'm so in love with you. I'm so dependent on you. Like you're such a huge part of my life now. And when you're not around, I notice it. And it's difficult to like get through a day without you having, you know, without you being there with me. And then the next line is everything they whispered in our ear is coming true trying to justify the things I used to do. And I think that's trying to him saying like, you know, people were telling me like, wow, you're, you're, it seems like you're really into this girl. Like this seems like somebody that you actually like have a real connection with. And then he's like thinking to himself like, oh, now I have to justify how horrible of a person I've been my whole life and how, you know, just totally fucked up he is. And he has to like rectify that because now he's with somebody that he wants to be a better person for. Mm. So I really like, this is like very like, <laughs> like my brain is blown up. Cause like, you know, this is not nine inch nails. This is, it doesn't, this doesn't sound like Trent Reznor, you know, apathetic, hateful, angry man who wrote a song called Mr. Self-Destruct. <laughs> like this is not the same guy. He's, he's grown, you know, 2008 is very far removed from, the broken EP and the downward spiral and even the fragile, you know, he's just, he's become such a different person. And this song is kind of like this weird outlier among the nine inch nails repertoire in that way. Yeah. And then in the chorus, he says, watching you drown, I'll follow you down. I'm here right beside you. The lights in the sky have finally arrived. I'm staying right beside you. I feel like he needed to throw in the drowning thing. I don't th- <laughs> just to just to add that little like element of darkness. But it could just be you know someone you know getting away from you. Yeah. And it's like I'll I'll I'm gonna reach out and hang on to you. And if it ends up taking me down too, that's fine because I don't want to be anywhere except for you know right next to you. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like this mind blowing heart melt. You know, you're, yeah. you're just like I'm not used to feeling these feelings <laughs> when I. When I listen to Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> and and this is why we, we brought up How to Destroy Angels, because it's almost as though this song hints at why he walks away from Nine Inch Nails for a while, but potentially. Yeah. Being like, I just wrote the song, and I called it Nine Inch Nails, and maybe it's not. Yeah. And maybe I'm going to write this stuff that doesn't belong in this canon that I've put together. And and I, I wonder if that's why... I mean. As as we mentioned, how to destroy angels sounds like Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I I didn't listen to too much of it, so I don't know if it does have that kind of vibe. It's definitely not so far removed from Nine Inch Nails that you know you can't like thematically. Speaking. Thematically speaking, it's very similar. Obviously, just, you can just tell from the songwriting. Even though Mary Queen is singing all the songs, it sounds like the the. Trent has a very like specific cadence of how he writes his lyrics. You know, he he tends to deliver lines in tight little snippets. It's like dut 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 break. Dut 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 break. And like those how he that's just how he writes. And so when Mary Queen delivers the lines, you're like, oh, I could totally imagine Trent delivering these same lines. So yeah, the, the How to Story Angels does have a very similar vibe, but it's it's also different. It's it has a distinct difference to it. But it's interesting that you mentioned that Lights in the Sky kind of like closes out this Nine Inch Nails chapter, at least for a time being. Mm. Because the tour that he did after the slip came out was called the Lights in the Sky Tour. And so it's like, it it all kind of, it seems like he was putting a lot of emphasis on this song. And it was like the Lights in the Sky tour ended up being one of the final tours before he did the Wave Goodbye tour, which was, see you later, Nine Inch Nails is over for now. I'm going to go do this other thing and whatever. So yeah, I feel like you're right. Like this song kind of represents like this this end, you know, it's the end. It's not the end, but it feels like the end of this record. It feels like something that doesn't sound like that nine inch nails thing. It has this more uplifting, positive vibe going to it, even though it still sounds dark and depressing in certain ways, in certain ways. But yeah, I feel like that chapter closing quality, this chapter closed and moving on to the next thing. And yeah, we know now that nine inch nails does come back, but at the time, like it felt like this might be, the, the close, this might be the time that Nine Inch Nails kind of ends. And this song has that similar vibe to it. So, uh, you know, 
I feel like we've discussed the lyrics for this song, but I want to say one more thing about the song and, and its structure and its sound and its lyrical content, which is the song also reminds me a lot of Hurt. You know, obviously Hurt is played on a different instrument. It's a guitar with the vocals, and then it ends in this big explosion of like, you know, just distortion. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And, and then it kind of like rings out. And it becomes this like epic end to this really dense and difficult to listen to record. This doesn't have that, but it does still have a similar kind of, uh, I don't know, a similar vibe of like, you know, once again, like one instrument, Trent, and, you know, something going on in the, some soft. Yeah, soft atmosphere yeah. kind of sound. But whereas Hurt is obviously a very dark and depressing song about, you know, about this main character finally submitting and ki- killing himself you know, this song is, is the opposite. So it's like, it's almost like the answer to hurt. It's like, I, you know, if, if I don't, Trent Reznor may not have ever said this, but it's almost like he said, like, I wrote this song hurt, you know, 15 years ago at this point, And I was a different person then. And now I've got this other song that has a similar vibe, but it doesn't have the same kind of negative, nihilistic, violent and destructive imagery to it and instead it's something else it's 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 going in a different direction that that i'm able to do now now that i'm not fucked up on drugs now that i'm not super depressed now that i've met somebody who i really connect with just just as an aside he ends up having five children with this woman like like they are like really really like they are really into each other and have like really blossomed into this you know this loving couple she tours with him now and they do all sorts of stuff together like she's a huge aspect of his life and yeah i feel like this song is kind of the answer to the the self-destructive, you know, dangerous and and dark and dreary Trent. Yeah, and you mentioned the destructive end to her and how this stands in contrast. And it leads, this song ends up leading into those instrumental tracks kind of suggesting like, I don't know where this is going, but it's a, it's a good thing and it's going somewhere as opposed to, as you mentioned, just this abrupt dark ending. I know we keep mentioning all of our other episodes, but in in some ways, listening to Nine Inch Nails for me was a lot like listening to Rage Against the Machine, where I kind of had to had to do it on the sly, so my mom didn't know like what are you what is it that you're listening to. <laughs> uh, so I, I I mentioned this in in the the Rage Against the Machine episode, but I go to a lot of used record stores with my dad and that's kind of how I got into Nine Inch Nails because I'd be with him and he'd be like okay just you can get that but just you know don't tell your mother (laughs) and um, Nine Inch Nails have so many releases and remixes of things and singles that I didn't really know where to start and the Broken EP was one of the first things that I picked up because it was super cheap because it was an EP so it wasn't a full-length album and was used so it was only like a couple bucks and I just absolutely fell in love with it and I I remember trying to wrap my head around (laughs) Nine Inch Nails' music because I'd heard you know stuff on the radio or seen the music videos and I ended up picking up further down the spiral thinking it was the downward spiral (laughs) and and I, I, I don't know what my confusion was at the time so I remember throwing it on and being like, oh, these sound nothing like the other songs that I know and kind of really introduced me to to the world of remixes. Yeah. So uh, so for those of you who don't know, Further Down of the Spiral is a complete remix album. There's no, it's all Nine Inch Nails songs from previous releases, but remixed by other people. Yeah. So that that was kind of a, a an interesting introduction to the process of remixes where it's just like, oh, I realized they took this guitar that was, you know, sort of quietly in the background and put it in, you know, front and center for this track and the way they kind of move things around, um, which which is just kind of kind of interesting and and lends puts puts into perspective that weird quality of songwriting when you just kind of compile tracks together when you don't have that live band that we kind of talked about earlier. 
Um, my other personal connection is probably just thinking back to what I feel is one of my most amazing experiences watching anything, which is I'm a big Twin Peaks fan and David Lynch uh, of David Lynch's work. And Nine Inch Nails was in an episode of Twin Peaks The Return. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it will be like the weirdest watching experience you have. Um, and in that show, or what closed every show would be a musical segment. And in one episode towards the middle of the series, the musical segment came towards the beginning of the episode and it was Nine Inch Nails. And it was a song I hadn't heard before. It was called um, She's Gone Away. It's super loud, super disturbing, super scary. And the fact that David Lynch is already this kind of nightmarish director, I just knew like shit is going to go down. <laughs> like, I don't know what is coming after this, but the fact that it's not at the end of the episode and it's nine inch nails. I was like, I don't, yeah, the nine inch, nails. the nine inch nails. That's right. They're, they're, they're presented as the nine inch. nails. The, I, I was, I was just sitting there like, I, I don't know what to expect. And I'm like super excited about what's around the corner. And it was and probably the, one of the best. Episodes and it was, of yeah, yeah, yeah it was, yeah. it was something that as I sat there watching it, I was like, I can't believe this is airing on network television. We're seeing this weird surrealist guy's vision in like a a, a television show. Yeah, and um, so that's that's usually what I think of is just my just pure excitement about this is a cool song. I haven't heard this song before, and I just know it it portends something <laughs> something terrible around the corner. Nine Inch Nails for me was such an important band growing up. Nine Inch Nails, I think, when I was when I first started listening to them, they were one of the first bands I ever heard that 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 scared me. You know, like you know, there's 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 scary music out there like black metal and you know just the metal genre in general where you can listen to some stuff that gets pretty dark and disturbing and weird. But Nine Inch Nails actually like terrified me. There's a part in in the Downward Spiral where the music just cuts out at one point in the middle of this song and then comes back in super loud off the beat. And it just, it, it can scare you. Cause you can be like, I didn't expect that to happen. And all of a sudden, boom, tons of sound. And so it was just like this deep, dark, weird, scary music that, that I, I immediately found myself connected to. Trent, you know, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, he grew up in, in a small town in Pennsylvania and then he moved to Ohio. You know, Cleveland is a big city, but it's still, you know, not it's not exactly New York or L.A. or whatever. And as a as a kid growing up in a small town here in Connecticut, you know, I you know, you you connect with those types of feelings, that frustration, that feeling that like nobody understands you or that you, you know, don't belong or whatever. And so. As a as a teenage boy listening to Nine Inch Nails for the first time, it was it was like you know an instant click. It was like boom, I understand this. I know it's coming down here. I know why this guy feels this way, and and I love it. The thing that disappointed me though about Nine Inch Nails was when I found out that it was just this one guy. You know, when I found out that it was just Trent doing everything in a studio, it was it was it was kind of it was an interesting like dichotomy. Like I was at one handed. It really impressed. I was like, wow, like what an impressive, amazing technical achievement that this one dude can make this music sound so dense and so layered on his own without any other band members needed. And that was really inspiring in a way. Cause it was like, wow, like if this one guy can do everything, like, you know, I better up, up my game too, if I'm going to be in a band. Uh, but it was also disappointing because I felt like, oh, like, it took kind of it's it kind of took some of the magic away, you know. Your Wizard of Oz moment. Yeah, it's like oh, there's just this one guy, like in a in you know if for the downward spiral. It was just one guy in a house, you know, just like put, pushing buttons on a console somewhere, moving drum tracks around, adding in some synthesizers, and you know, just I don't know. It kind of it kind of took away a little bit of the value for me as a kid because I was so band focused as a kid. I was like, no, like. 
the most important thing is that it's a band creating organic music through instrumentation, you know, cause I grew up in the nineties. The so it was like, you know, if you had a synthesizer, if you had a computer, if you used pro tools, like you were immediately bullshit as far as I was concerned, you know, like if you didn't write your songs in a garage while practically dying from drug addiction, <laughs> then I wasn't interested, you know, and that's just how it was back then. That was the time that, that, that was the type of music that really identified with me as, as a kid. So when I found out that it wasn't that, and in fact, very much the opposite of that. It was a little disappointing, but that didn't stop Nine Inch Nails from being such a huge inspiration for me as a musician and for like developing the sound that I wanted to have with my own band at the time and everything. So I'll always think back fondly for, for Nine Inch Nails for that. But at the same time, like it was a little jarring to find out that it was just this one guy doing everything. But then going forward, you know, once I got over that, once I aged out of the whole, like, you know, <laughs> that whole bullshit attitude, that like kind of like gatekeeping attitude as that you, that I had as a kid. Um, now I just, I just profoundly respect, you know, Trent Reznor as a person. I profoundly respect the, 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 the band, the integrity that Trent brings to Nine Inch Nails. I mean, this is a band that for their most recent tour, they completely eliminated all online sales of tickets because he wanted to make sure that anyone who wanted to go to these shows would get to go. So he said, we're not going to sell the tickets online. If you want to go to one of our shows, you have to go to the box office and buy a ticket. Which meant that, you know, you couldn't get a scalper to, you know, because that's a big problem with Ticketmaster and stuff like that, where scalpers will get online and they'll buy like as many tickets as possible using bots and then put them on StubHub with an increased value and in, in, in a profit. So nobody wins there. The artist gets the same amount of money that they would have gotten you know, regardless. And the fans don't win because they have to pay so much money to go. So Trent was kind of like, I'm going to totally get rid of this and just, you know, you have to go to the box office and buy the tickets. So that way, you know, a Nine Inch Nails fan, a hardcore Nine Inch Nails fan is not going to have any problem going to the venue and waiting in line to get tickets. Whereas a scalper is not going to do that. So just like little things like that, releasing the slip online for free, releasing it with a Creative Commons license so that anyone can use the tracks for anything they want. It's just, you know, such an, a, an incredible amount of integrity that's really inspiring for me, not only as a musician, but just as a person. Like this is a guy who takes his job very seriously and brings to it that same integrity that, you know, you hope everybody brings to everything they do. So yeah, very inspiring band, very inspiring music, very inspiring people, very dark and dreary, probably not for everybody, <laughs> but hopefully this song lights in the sky is something that, you know, maybe somebody who is a little turned off by how dark and dreary and scary Nine Inch Nails music can be. This is something that, that they can maybe identify with. Thank you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.